She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and I am so excited to be here today with a new guest for you, my friend Lisa Callahan. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Yeah, even though LA is a little chilly, but it's and gray, and super gray. annoying, <laughs> super annoying. <laughs> Listeners, now you might remember, um, Lisa is actually related to our previous guest, Darren Callahan, who talked about writer Nancy Dowd. Um, Lisa, you are Darren's wife, but you're so much more. You're not just Darren's wife, obviously. right? Darren's my <laughs> husband. Let's be clear. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think all of us who know you both would definitely agree, including Darren. Yeah. Lisa, well, can you tell the, the listeners about you? Who are you? Who am I? Uh, I am a business life coach, and I just started with my friend Carrie Morn, our own podcast called The That's Things right. We Know. The Things We Know. I listened to your first three episodes, Lisa. I love them. Oh, that's awesome. I love them. What'd you love about them? Well, you guys are just like speaking from the heart about some of the issues that yeah. I feel like uh, people don't talk about. Now, that being said, I'm probably a little bit young for your target demographic, but I still like really, I think I text, even text, didn't I even text you like you a did. from the show that I was like, that's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. It's just women talking about women shit. Yeah. That's like the worst way to say it, probably, Sarah. But <laughs> no, no, I, no, I, I, you know, I might, I might take that as a tagline. That's exactly right. No, it's really, it is. I'm 53. Carrie's 54. I'll be 54 this year. And it, the intentionality of it was, we, we joke and say it's for women of a certain age, 40s, 50s, and beyond, to let you know that the best is not behind you because society would tell us, as we know, as we've been hearing lately, that, you know, women uh, are useless after they can't have children anymore. Thank you, Don Lemon and Tiger Woods. Yeah, right. And we're, we're not experiencing that at all. And we also work with a lot of women our age who feel it, but they don't understand it. And so that's the intention of the pod is to like bring you into community and let you know that you're not alone and the yeah. best is still ahead of you. So I will say we've gotten feedback from women. You're in the in their 30s even and, and younger that have said, this is almost feels like a roadmap for us. You know, yeah. so while you may not be experiencing it yet, to see sort of a light at the end of the tunnel is also helpful. At least that's what we're hearing. So we're excited. Yeah, I like it. I think I feel like uh, a lot of the things you were saying are things like I think about a lot and that I've tried to put into practice as part of like the generation right behind you. Right. Right. Um, and so it's great to see you bring those that to light because I feel like people in you and you're a little bit younger than like my mom, but like like her generation, it wasn't as word to the wise on that stuff. And so women right. just start to feel like shit and they feel like they don't belong and they don't have value. They feel yes. unvalued by society. Yeah. Um, and so I love that you are speaking to those women because they don't always listen to like people in my generation. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> You're like the bridge between boomers and me, right? That's right. Kind of like where I, you yeah, I am definitely Gen X. <laughs> Gen X. That's the, I always mix them up. Anyway, Lisa, I am so glad to have you here. So when Lisa and I first started talking, she told me the broad that she wanted to bring in. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Because we have not done any broads kind of in this genre of like issues. Um, and well, I don't want to spoil it. Who did you bring us today, Lisa? So I am bringing you Jean Nidich, who was the founder of Weight Watchers. Wait, 
watchers. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, what a cultural phenomenon. Everybody knows that company name, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And Lisa, you worked with Weight Watchers, right? That's like you come from a perspective, like an insider perspective here with some of the stuff we're going to be talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. I worked for Weight Watchers for 14 years while I lived in Chicago. I lost weight with Weight Watchers, kept it off for years. And then when we moved to Los Angeles, I that's when I went out and got my own coaching certification and went out on my own. But yeah, so insider information. And But what was interesting is some of this I knew and some of it I didn't. So it was really yeah. fascinating to research all of this. Well, I'm really excited to to hear you, hear more about her because I think, you know, I, I don't know about other of you listeners, but like for me, Weight Watchers was this thing that my mom did that like, <laughs> I, or that she talked about or explored for a short time. She wasn't, I don't think, a long-term Weight Watchers. And I think even my sister-in-law, I, you actually know my sister-in-law, don't you? Isn't that how you Yeah, when I moved, she took over one of my meetings. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, so small world. Such a small world. But I feel like I don't know very much about Weight Watchers and I certainly don't know anything about Jean. So do you want to just kick it off starting to sure. talk about Jean? Let's go. Yeah. So again, a lot of, some of this I knew having worked there for so long. And even though she had been out of the business for a while, you know, she's the godmother of it, obviously, the, the founder. What I loved about her whole story is that she is literally every woman. She was in the supermarket one day, supermarket, of course. I love that because it's sexy. <laughs> and this neighbor came up to her and said, Oh, Jean, man, you look great. When do you do? Oh, yeah. Oh. Don't ever do that. Don't no. ever ask a yeah. woman when she's due. No, I mean, I feel like we know that, but maybe we don't. People don't. Yeah. Maybe oh. not. Yeah. And I, so then when I met, read that, I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is it, right? This is exactly what happens to us. Um, she was born in 1923. And again, she was raised in a family, like I think a lot of us are, that really fed their feelings literally with food. You know, so she grew up in a house that was where she emotionally ate. In her memoir that she wrote in 1970, she said, and I'm quoting, I don't really remember, but I'm positive that whenever I cried, my mother gave me something to eat. I'm sure whenever I had a fight with the little girl next door or it was raining and I couldn't go out or I wasn't invited to a birthday party, my mother gave me a piece of candy to make me feel better. And, you know, that's so normal. You know, we feed our feelings and and oftentimes within a family, it's like, oh, let's celebrate. Go get ice cream. You're sad. Let me give you a cookie. You know, what do you, even even my daughter yesterday had kind of a rough day and our immediate reaction was like, what do you want for dinner? You know, so (laughs) it's just relatable, relatable, totally relatable. So she had grown up, you know, again, I'm sort of quoting, I'm, I'm not a fan of these words, but kind of a chubby kid, as had mm. her sister, because again, growing up in a family where they were eating their feelings, essentially, and she tried everything. She tried diet pills. She tried fad diets. She even tried hypnosis, which back mm. in the 60s, I think is kind of revolutionary. Um, mm. She would lose the weight, as we do, and then it would come back over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And so again, I just kept thinking everything I was researching, I was like, she is literally every woman I've ever known that struggled with their weight. Well, and that's fad diets in general. Like that's oh, yeah. what fad diets are is you, you yeah. crash the weight off. And then as soon as you stop your, that particular regimen, it, it all comes back and usually with a vengeance, right? Absolutely with a vengeance. Yeah. Uh, so 1961 is when she runs into this neighbor at the supermarket and that's kind of her last straw. And she decides to go try to figure out how to lose weight. 
more, I guess, in a healthy way, so to speak. So she went to an NYC obesity clinic and they told her she would have to follow a very strict diet, which Mm. she apparently tried to do for about 10 weeks. But then again, as again, like all of us, it was hard and she loved Mallow Mars back in the day. And so she was (laughs) literally, I know, she was hiding them in her hamper and then eating them in the in the bathroom at night when nobody would see. Oh my God. Do you remember that movie Heavyweights? No. What is that? Oh my God. It's these, these kids are all sent to fat camp for for Mm. lack of a better term. And they're all, they all hide all their candy, like in their bedposts and stuff. And they're like, it's one of a, it's a Ben Stiller movie. Actually. It's, it's like funny, but then terrible at the same time. Like the more we understand that that's really unhealthy. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, (laughs) that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. And and I mean, again, having been a Weight Watcher leader for so many years, these are stories that I know, you know, from working with my members and so forth. Um, And even as I branched out and became my own health coach for a while, I mean, those were the things I was running into. So this is, this is just so, so very normal. She got super frustrated and decided to give up and said she was literally never going back to the obesity clinic because she felt like all the women were thin and they didn't understand the struggle. And so she was just, she didn't want to do it anymore, which that piece really struck me because as a Weight Watcher leader, that was one of the things at the end of every meeting, when we'd have new people joining, we had to share our before story and have a before picture. I'm not a fan of before and afters now because it is triggering for a lot of people, but Mm. I got it at the time because it was like, you know, here I am standing up at my quote unquote goal weight. And I actually, one time I was passing the picture around and a member said, thank you so much for showing that to me. Cause looking at you, I would have never thought you struggled with weight. So, yeah. you know, again, this is back from the get go. Yeah. Jean was like, if you've never struggled with weight, how could you possibly help me lose weight? Right. So she said that everybody at the, the obesity camp she was at was thin. She felt like everybody at the clinic was thin and these women wouldn't have understood how, what to struggle with weight meant, which she might've been right. I mean, they were probably nurses or doctors Mm. or, you know what I mean? Like it, one of the things I loved about Weight Watchers, which I don't think is true anymore, is you had to have gone through the program, hit your goal weight, stayed there for six weeks then you became what we call a lifetime member. And then if you wanted to, you could apply to get hired. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And so everybody that did work for Weight Watchers had gone through the program. They did understand. They knew what running program looked like. And so I can imagine if she's walking into this room full of whatever women, she, if she doesn't know their story, she assumes they've never struggled with weight. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. So after she gave up going to the obesity clinic, she decided she needed some support. And so she initially started with six of her friends, invited them over to her house and said, let's sit around and talk about our struggles. What are we struggling with, with regards to losing weight, sharing our own diet tips. And that essentially was the beginning. And within two months, she had 40 women coming. Oh my gosh. To her house. Yeah. To her house. Ultimately, she ended up losing 72 pounds, which apparently she kept off. Literally, she was the same weight when she died. Oh my gosh. I know. So she kept it off for all these years. Um, In 1963, she incorporated Weight Watchers and it just started as a little um, meeting above a movie theater in Little Neck, Queens. And she stepped down as the main person in 1973, and then she sold it to Heinz and signed a non-compete to never create another weight loss company. She still stuck in there, though, was head of PR until 1984, and then again, died in, at the age of 91. Heinz? She sold it to Heinz like the ketchup? 
Uh, yeah, which is so funny to me that because is interesting. Yeah, it is so. <laughs> and it's been it doesn't Heinz doesn't own it anymore. But before she sold it to Heinz, there was franchises. I mean, that's what it was for a long time. People would buy little franchises and be all over the all over the country. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I started working there, which was in two thousand and four, I think, um, it was corporate owned, and it. I don't know who owned us then, but it switched hands a couple Many of different times. times. Yeah. But still, she started even once she decided to do it this way, to have this community and be working, you know, amongst her friends. She used the guidelines that she got from the obesity clinic. So it was like lean fish, or lean meats, fish, skim milk, lots of fruits and vegetables, alcohol and sweets were off limits, which side note, I would have never <laughs> been able to do that program. <laughs> At all, um, you and me both. Yeah, no, that's be hard pass. Hard pass. But you know, it, it it is funny. The the Heinz thing cracks me up because I can remember. So what? I'm working there 2004 to 2017, and so there were. I did have members who had been around since the beginning, and they would mm. tell me stories about making their own ketchup because there's sugar in ketchup, and so there were things like it was at the beginning. It was pretty hardcore. For sure. Yeah. There is sugar in ketchup. There's sugar in everything in America. Oh, there is. Yeah. There's sugar Especially in low bacon. Fat things. Yeah. There's sugar in, yeah. 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 It's really fascinating. I've done a few different, I've never done Weight Watchers, full disclosure, but I have done like paleo and I've been mm-hmm. doing like macro tracking and things like that. And once you learn how to read food labels and see, it's like eye opening and mind blowing, like yes. what is in some of the foods, especially the processed foods, like people don't even know. Oh, it's bad. And you know the thing the the thing that I and this is what I loved about Weight Watchers as a member and as an employee as well and and what strikes me is that what she saw was it was much easier to do this in community to, mm-hmm. because again and this I'm going to reference the pot again that's kind of the reason we did the things we know we want women to know they're not alone going through these things as women you know we tend to keep everything to ourselves we want to be the mm-hmm. super person and just forge on. And you can reach your goals a heck of a lot easier when you're in community. And so yeah. that was, to me, the key. I mean, there they she had things like, you know, she always had cookbooks. In fact, if you want to get a good laugh, Google 70, 1970s Weight Watcher recipes. There was a <laughs> lot of food in Jello, like increased <laughs> in Jello. And then my very- Which also has sugar. It's also sugar. <laughs> yeah. And then um, she, my favorite one was the crown roast of Frankenfurters. So little hot dogs that were made to look like a crown roast. I actually found a tote bag at Lori's Planet of Sound in Chicago with that picture on it. I had to buy it because it's so <laughs> ridiculous. But she had cookbooks, you know. Um, she, the things I didn't know that she had was she had a syndicated television program. Mm. She did actually have a camp for overweight children, a summer camp. Was it modeled after like the Weight Watchers model though? Where it's I not assume just- so. Not yeah. like the camp she went to, obviously. Right. No, I assume under the weight, you know, but again, things, the one thing I always liked about Weight Watchers was that they were always looking at the latest science. They were always mm-hmm. looking at what is working. So it was, it, some members would be frustrated by this, but we were always, we would change the program a little bit every year or so because new science would come out around, you know, what's the healthiest way to lose weight and keep it off. And so, you know, things like that ended up not really, you know, obviously they don't have a syndicated television show anymore and there aren't camps. In fact, children, you had to have a doctor's note if you were going to bring a child in. But anyways, the bottom line is I really felt like the meetings, the support and accountability from both the members as well as the leader and the person who would weigh you in, 
there's always been weigh-ins back in the day. You actually weighed in in front of everybody and they announced it. So Ooh, that's that, not a thing. Thank God. Oh my gosh. When did the, when, that was back at the beginning or when you started? No, God, no. Back in the beginning. And in fact, it I, I didn't even know about that until I saw a Mad Men episode and January Jones's character goes to Weight Watchers to lose some weight and she has to stand in front of everybody and they announce it. But again, I would have members come in and assume that's what we did, that we stood and to- said what everybody's weight is. Like, oh God, no, it's totally private. Like, it's just between you and me. I don't even say it out loud. I make you look at the scale. Oh but yeah, gosh. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of it that's was still the same when I was there. And then there's things that have come and gone. Yeah. She ended up establishing scholarship programs at UCLA and the University of Nevada, and then ultimately did retire. And finally, she passed away in Florida. And she held on to her principles till the end. I mean, she apparently, again, this is something I saw. She had a, an interview with the Sun Sentinel of South Florida and was holding an imaginary fork <laughs> and said, <laughs> Uh, we hold the instrument that makes us fat. I just shake my head when I see someone eating cake, saying I wish I wasn't fat and still eat the cake. Now, again, I think we know mm. so much more now about weight loss and how genetics factor in and the psychology of it all. So mm-hmm. that's a little antiquated. But what I appreciate about her and what has really been valuable to me, not only as I lost the weight, but as a leader, and even now as I move through my career as a coach, the community is so important and so helpful to recognize that we're all in this together. And so that's what I really love about Jean. That's why I thought she's a broad you should know. Yeah, I definitely think she's a broad you should know. I mean, I think Weight Watchers is a a term we've all heard, whether or not we understood much about it. Am I correct in thinking that at least in maybe, uh, you know, up to like 10 years ago or so, the Weight Watchers, it was like a point system, like foods were given different points and then you had like a certain number of points a day. Is that is that right? How the, the Yeah, gym- no, that's it. It's still that way. I mean, it was when I first did it, the very first time I ever did Weight Watchers, the funny thing is I never really dieted. I, I did think of myself as sort of a, a heavier child. I look at pictures now and I wasn't, but whatever, society. My first diet, first real going on a diet was at Weight Watchers. And I went in 1998. Then it was a little different. They didn't have points. No, maybe they did. I guess they did have points. But even the point system changed over the years. And mm. I, I had a, my son and I came back in 2003 and I came back with the intention of if I lost my weight again, I wanted to work for him. I sort of did want to pay it forward. Mm. And then points change over time. Like sometimes fruit had points, sometimes it didn't, you know, it was mm. different things, different, you know, they would look at things like macros and stuff like that. But yes, so you'd have a certain amount of points every day. You'd have a little bank of points that you could use throughout the week. When I started there, I mean, and and the reason I was able to lose the weight and keep it off the way I did was the thought process was every food's available to you, but in moderation and you pick and choose, you know? So if you Mm -hmm. wanted to have cake, you could have cake. It shifted a little around 20, I'm going to say 2014, 2015. And they moved into what, I don't, I don't know if this is still at smart points where sugar did become really prohibitive. And so I no longer felt like every food was available to you. Mm. And that, I, that didn't sit well with me. So that was the beginning of me thinking, I think I'm ready to go, but I didn't leave for another three years. (laughs) But the community part still stuck and like those meetings and and like the, the power of that, would you say it also like was accountability, right? Like where you, you have to see those people the next week. And so it helps motivate you to not quit. Is that, is that how you would kind of define it? Yeah. I mean, I, 
I would have people say to me on a pretty regular basis, you know, oh, you're, it's, I've lost weight because you're my leader. And I would always say, it's, first off, it has nothing to do with me. And second off, what's more important is this group. It wasn't so much about, oh, I don't want to quit. I, I, I'm afraid of gaining weight or whatever in front of these other people. But it was like they became friends. When somebody would stop showing up to a meeting, somebody in the meeting would end up reaching out to them. Another member might reach out and be like, hey, how are you doing? And so it was just like you became friends with the 30 or 40 people that were in the meeting room. And it wasn't just about me at the scale, but it was about the camaraderie. The meetings would open about a half hour early and some of my best meetings uh, were the ones where people were showing up the minute the door opened and then they just spent 30 minutes talking to each other before the meeting would even start and then they'd hang around afterwards and stuff. And so that that aspect was to me, that was the key, you know, for sure. Since since I have like, I feel like I have this like window of opportunity to ask all these questions I've always wondered about Weight okay. Watchers is like, <laughs> when you're at the meeting, is it like... I understand AA meetings where like you introduce yourself and you tell your story or were there like lectures or like, like informational, like what was that? Like what are meetings generically like when you were there, when you were leaving? I was there. Yeah. It's changed a little bit, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. So a meeting would be, I would have a topic every week. We'd start out by celebrating. So we really tried to celebrate not only like we would celebrate every five pounds because, you know, small hinges swing big doors. So we didn't wait for somebody to lose 25 pounds before we celebrated with them. But we'd also celebrate what we called non-scale victories, you know. So I'd have a list of the people who had hit a milestone from a a weight loss perspective. But then I would ask people to sort of self-celebrate what are they proud of this week. And again, it's still something I use in my coaching all the time, coming from that space of being proud. Because what I know for sure is as humans, we tend to look at everything we do wrong. So somebody would come in and come into the little weigh-in booth with me, and they would tell me all the things they did wrong. I, and, and I'd be like, okay. And then they'd get on the scale and they'd lose weight or stay the same. And then I'd say, well, what did you do right this week? And the list was substantially longer, but they wanted to tell me how they'd eaten French fries three days before, sort of to make sure that if they gained weight, that's why, you know? And I was like, <laughs> focus on all the good stuff. So we'd celebrate and then I would have a topic and it wasn't a lecture. We were facilitators. And so there was questions involved and people would answer the questions and again, share tips and tricks and so forth. And then we would wrap it up. And then there'd be this, like I said, the getting started where I was talking to new members. But no, it really wasn't meant to be a lecture. I mean, if it was a good meeting, the leader was a facilitator for sure and not a lecturer. Mm -hmm. Just for like the sharing and the camaraderie Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that sounds like just like a nice group of women, like to just like women supporting women. Was it mostly women? Or, I mean, I, men were allowed, weren't they? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. Men were definitely allowed. It was mostly women, but I did have, personally, I had uh, several men in, in over the course of time. And, and you know, it, it's a human thing. The, the thing that's funny about men is men tend to lose weight faster. Yeah, so we all know yeah, that. Totally, <laughs> totally. So that would be, a, that'd be annoying when they'd come in. But, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of times for the women, you know, they would live in households where, you know, their husband didn't get it or perhaps their husband was super thin and he could eat chips and cookies and all that stuff. So they, they were fighting 
struggling in their own house to this 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes where they were in a room full of people that got it um, was just, it was so important. And and it was nice because if you had a certain type of membership, uh, it was called the monthly membership, you could only weigh in once, which I find incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Weighing in every day is is not a good practice, but you could come to as many meetings as you wanted to. And so some people would come to several meetings a week, especially if they were having a particularly hard week. But Mm. we would talk about things, you know, that were more from the psychological perspective too. You know, we would talk about mentally rehearsing being successful. We would, Mm. we always had great tips and and meetings around the holidays and how to get through that in a way that you were proud of, regardless of whether you gained weight or lost weight. You know, so I, I was very proud of the way I ran meetings because I wanted them to, I wanted everybody to know that it wasn't a quick fix that the best way to lose weight is to enjoy yourself while you're doing it. Because what I knew for sure is the people that went really strict, even though that wasn't what they were preaching, but if they went really strict, sure, they could lose weight fast, but they wouldn't keep it off because they hadn't really changed anything that was going to be, that would, yeah. you know, help long-term. Yeah. Wow. This is so interesting. So, but you did mention that a bunch of things changed during the pandemic. Do you want to talk yeah. about, is that, is, is, it's not the same company now you think what I, I so I was already gone because uh, I left in 2017. I actually, when I came out here to LA, I tried for about six months to still go to meetings. I, I, I didn't, it, the program was not in alignment, as I said, for me anymore because it didn't feel as food just felt restrictive and, and punishing. Um, and I just don't believe that food has morality. Food is not good or bad, it just is. And so I wasn't mm. feeling that anymore. But I tried. I thought, okay, well, I've done, I put in all this work to take my weight off and keep it off all these years. So I'm going to keep going to Weight Watchers. And I did for about six months. And I just finally, after December of 2017, I was like, "Eh, I'm done. What I know though, is I had a lot of friends that were still there. And so when the pandemic hit, they did shift pretty quickly to Zoom, which was great because, you know, obviously people needed the support more than ever. Unfortunately, in the process of doing that, and I know this because I most of my friends are gone from there now, a lot of people got laid off. And mm. I think Weight Watchers saw a way to, as a lot of companies did, this is not exclusive to Weight Watchers, saw ways to do things cheaper, you know, with not mm. having to have spaces with where, you know, they had to pay With rent. overhead. With yeah. overhead, exactly. And so, it's easier to go to a Zoom, so to speak, than it is to find a Weight Watcher studio to go attend an actual meeting. And that I find disappointing because, again, the, there's nothing like being in person. And once we could be in person, it should have tried to go back to that, in my opinion. I wonder from the I wonder from the user perspective, too, like if there's kind of some some of the like power is lost a little bit. I think like I, when you talk about like those meeting rooms and the, the energy that happened there and, and like that feels to me like what I kind of think of as like a sacred space yes, 100%. Where, where people can really, but like when you're like zooming from your bedroom and you're like husband's in the next room and might be able to hear you, like, is it as safe a space? As Such a, a good point. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. I feel that way with my whole, like, home, like, you know, I, I have a therapist and sometimes like, I'm like, I hope my boyfriend can't hear through the door. Yeah, you know, know, so sometimes I feel like I do kind of like, like limit myself in terms of like what I might say if I were like somewhere else where I knew that he like couldn't, not that I, anyway, that sounds terrible. No, I think I'm in a terrible relationship. I'm not healthy. It's good. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's good. You're right. I think that's part of it. But I think more of it is my understanding 
is that you can go to a Zoom anywhere in the country. And so now you're on this, you know, in this Zoom room and you're not really sharing and you're not getting the energetics of, of people you know. And so, I mean, I, I do know, I have a, a very good friend who may listen to this and <laughs> she has said straight up, like Zoom ruined it for her, you know, mm-hmm. because she it's not the same. And the value was in being in community, in the room. And I get it, we they couldn't do it during the pandemic, but then to see, to put profit over what people really need is always irritating to me. And so that's irritating. really what it well, came Well, it's late to. stage capitalism. That's where we're Oh right my God. Now, so. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Lisa Jean sounds so amazing. I Like Weight Watchers blew up so big. Like she had probably mm-hmm. had no idea when she first started that very first meeting that no. that's what it would become. But it obviously was something that people were, I hate to say hungry for, but like hung, <laughs> people were hungry for that kind of connection and that kind of support. I'm sure every woman thought she was the only one eating Malamars or whatever it might be in secret. You know, I mean, I've been guilty of that. I've, I've bought... I don't do this anymore because I don't think any food's off limits. But back in the day, you know, when I when I would think of, we would talk about something called red light foods, which were foods you shouldn't keep in the house. <laughs> I unsubscribed for that a, a long time ago. But I can remember like getting something that I considered a red light food and eating it in the car really quick before I got home. Not because I didn't want anybody to see it, but I just want to eat it and be done with it, you know. <laughs> and now those things I keep in my house on a regular basis and they've completely lost their power, you know. But that's the thing. It's it's that it goes again to me. It goes back to the thing that I know for sure, which is women think they're doing everything. They're the only ones going through what they're going through, and it's just mm. not true. And Weight Watchers no. is a beautiful example of when we get in community. Not only do we do better, but we celebrate everybody else. And in that celebration, ah, uh, just it's just uh, it's glorious. I mean, and that's also what this podcast is about. Yeah. It's about celebrating women and what women have done, despite the whatever they may have been told they should or shouldn't do. Right. And what society tells us. And, yep. And uh, wow. Well, thank you, Lisa. This is such a great, she was a great broad. I yeah. uh, I uh, love that you brought her in. I love that we can talk about her. And, you know, I also, I feel like a little obligated, not obligated, but it, it is important to say, like, there's a lot of stigma around the size we are and the weight we are and... I do really wish that our society wasn't like that. If you're listening to this podcast and if you're, I, I don't know, I just want everyone to feel beautiful and amazing no matter what you weigh. Your, your self-value is not put, put in the scale. It's who, it's who you are. It's your heart. It's your soul. You know. Well, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I almost didn't do this with you was I thought I am so, I am so against diet culture. And while I didn't really identify that way working there since getting out of it and with some of their changes, it feels more like diet culture to me now than it did when I was in it. And I suppose that's, you know, normal, but you're right. I mean, if every woman that's listening to this could know that what she weighs is the least of the things that make her worthy, then doing this pod was worth it. I agree. And, uh, you know, I think I've always fought like not to, not to always talk about me, but I'm the host. So I get to sometimes, (laughs) but like, I definitely grew up in a house where, Weight was talked about. Like my grandma would comment. Like my grandma, rest her soul. She's been gone a while now. Um, you know, she would say things like, "Are you going to have a second piece of lasagna?" Yep. And she would say, "Oh, are you really going to finish that?" And like I was, you know, I guess what what I was not what you would call like a particularly quote chubby kid or something like that. But like she would say those things. And oh, yeah. and and my mom, 
my mom grew up hearing that voice from her mom. Sure. And so she, her whole life has also been like always concerned about her weight, even though like she has always been healthy and she's always been beautiful. My mom was the same way. I mean, my mom was always thin and yet she was always thinking about her weight. Yeah. And one of the unspoken rules in my house, no question, and my sister would say this too, in fact she has, is don't be fat. My dad was somewhat fat phobic, not somewhat, he was totally fat phobic. He didn't straight up, he wasn't really mean by it about it. But yeah, I, I can remember coming home from college and my sophomore year, I went away to college. And when I came back, I had lost 15 pounds because I was eating better and I was walking more. And my grandpa said something who I loved. And he said something like, you look great. And I said, yeah, I've lost 15 pounds. And he said, yeah, you were getting a little heavy. I mean, literally, I am 53 years old. And, and when I say that story, I still feel that little heart squeeze. So it's just- yeah. And, men and whether or not, and th- whether or not we mean to, like the people that we raise in our house, like pick up on that, like absolutely. So we, so I carry part of that too, like yep. whether, and I hate it. Like I wish I could just like cut the string and just like never think about it ever again. Well, but it's, it's like it's like part of the DNA. Like it got ingrained somehow because I was raised kind of in a house that heard things like that, and yeah. and you know. It's 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 hard it's, to do. It's funny though because one of the reasons again we had when we had this getting started I mean, you had you sort of shared your why of being at Weight Watchers. And so my story was I did it initially to lose the baby weight. And then I did that within about 3 or 4 months. And so then I wanted to keep going and my why was I didn't want my kids growing up in a house where their mom was always worried about weight or feeling bad like oh I shouldn't have eaten that. And so that was really a huge part of my why. And mm-hmm. it still didn't matter. I mean, yes, obviously I worked there. They knew that. Charlotte would go to weigh-ins with me, whatever. Charlotte's your daughter, right? Charlotte's my daughter, yeah. She would go <laughs> to weigh-ins with me. So, And and Liam was a baby when I first started going, my son. And, and so he would, you know, whatever. Anyways, the point being, it didn't matter. You know, there's still yeah. society also has a big piece in all of this. And that's what I kind of love now is that we have women like – Lizzo and and Megan Trainer yes. and all these people who are body positive because you can be healthy at any weight. That's true. That's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Anyway, listeners, I just felt like we had to talk a little bit about that because yeah. diet culture is so ick and it's, it's so pervasive. It, it and yeah, and we're it's all around us. We saw it like at the Oscars last night. You know, we see yep. comments about it. We see things about it, and as much yep. as possible, I want everyone to try to like let's all let that shit go. Yes. And let's just Amen. love ourselves no matter where we're at and and uh, and know that where we're at is perfect right now. Well, thank you, Lisa, for coming. I You're love welcome. hearing about Jean and I love learning more about about this like important corner of our culture, especially as females. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was fun. To learn more about Jean Niedich, see pictures of her and of the glorious crown of Frankenfurters, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, click on over to the About page to read more about Lisa Callahan. Her bio, photo, links to all her cool stuff, and her new podcast, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social yet? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know, and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you are a fan of this podcast, then help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends or family, and better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. 
Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan, Lisa's husband. Finally, if you really enjoyed hearing about Jean Nietzsche, then I highly suggest you check out some of the other broads who have made a big difference in the health and wellness industry. That includes Mary Seacole, Florence Nightingale, and the Shiro's of the coronavirus epidemic. See you next week for another Broads You Should Know. Ooh.